Welcome to the Cultured Magazine podcast, Points of View, bringing you intimate interviews with creative leaders reflecting on their personal journeys and their visions for the future. I'm your host, Sienna Fiquette. In today's episode, the launch of season two, I sat down with Tourmaline, an artist, activist, filmmaker, and writer. Her work highlights the capacity of Black, queer, and trans people and communities to make and transform worlds. Tourmaline's work has been presented at a plethora of venues, including the New Museum, the Whitney, the Studio Museum in Harlem, the Brooklyn Museum, and the Met, just to name a few. We discuss her artistic journey, her biggest inspirations, trans legacy as a living archive, the role of pleasure in her work, some astrological musings, and her amazing, hidden, and very sporty talent. Thank you for being my first guest of season two. This is really yeah. special. <laughs> Honored to be a part of it. Yeah, welcome to We're so yeah. thrilled to have you. Um, so yeah, just how, how are you doing? What's going on? Where are you calling yeah. from right now? So I'm calling from my place. I'm living in the West Village right now. And um, yeah, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on is uh, it's cold. Yeah, My brain is running very slowly, which is like um, I'm starting to really enjoy. Like yeah. most days I'm just like, how few thoughts can I think today? <laughs> and it's a very nice energy for me. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what's going on today. Nice. And how was your how was your New Year's? How's it your twenty twenty two going so far? Twenty twenty two dreams come true. Is kind <laughs> of what I'm thinking and feeling right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I'm excited about this year. I feel like people are more and more trying to figure out how to reach for what they want in the midst of really hard and harsh conditions. Yeah. And what we want. It's like caring for one another, like having our material needs met, having our immaterial needs met, like yeah. allowing for um, the like bigness of our desires and dreams to um, like be fully present and um, like materializing in this moment, manifesting in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, I like that. I know too. Also, you're a cancer. I know this because I'm uh, a cancer too. And I was exactly, like, yeah, <laughs> cancer for cancer. Exactly. Exactly. We're sensitive. We care. Um, we care. <laughs> we deeply really care on a very deep, deep level. Yes. In line with this, you know, this way of living. Um, I'm curious how you kind of sustain and nurture your creativity and your spirit, you know, while working as an artist, it's definitely not something that's easy and is, you know, often glamorized, but the reality can look so different, um, you know, financially, emotionally. Um, so tell me about that experience of how, how you sustain yourself as an artist. You know, I think, um, so I grew up and when I, as I was, when I was growing up, my dad was like working as a McDonald's worker. And so to me, uh, like he was in charge of like the French fries. And so to me, like McDonald's was just, um, what I equated with food, you know, and I love, I still to this day, it's like love fast food. And so part of it is like just having these kind of like fast food moments. Yeah. And then also, you know, like I grew up also on welfare. So I just like the food that was available and, and the pantry line was like, was different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was like 
black cheese and like, you right. know, government peanut butter and, you know, just like very kind of like particular kind of vibe, like as yeah. we know, that was sustaining and like, thank God that um, my family like had access to like getting the welfare, mm-hmm. um, you know, the EIC and WIC. And so like right now, I think a lot about food as nourishment. And yeah. I think a big pivot in my life happened when I realized that like um, making like one green thing a day mm-hmm. had a profound effect on how I feel about myself. Absolutely. And my capacity to um, show up for myself and other people. So my life like really had this profound like pivot moment as an artist when I was like, oh, I'm just going to like boil some kale and like you know, have, or like saute some collard greens or like do some kind of thing that was about first and foremost, like my understanding of nourishment and sustenance. And as like, um, kind of journey around like caring for myself and therefore other people through food. And I think that, you know, is like, it's such a spectrum. So like, sometimes I'll want to do more of like, making food, having that green thing. Sometimes I'll be like, oh no, today's like a fast food moment. And <laughs> like, that's cute too. And, and treat so yourself, I, yeah. And treat myself, exactly. And not be rigid about it. Try to be like responsive to, to how I'm feeling. I think to me is like really important as an artist. Yeah, I think that connection to food, like literal nourishment is so like key and it's so simple but it's like we get outside of ourselves being so consumed by everything in yeah in new york especially it's like literally like i get these check-ins sometimes like have you eaten today and you're like wait no like wow you know yeah yeah those those things that are so simple often like the small things actually are the big things yeah you know it's like what i have come to learn and and it's also a theme through my art it's like those daily acts of care and showing up for ourselves and others are actually huge and um, have like a really big dramatic effect on our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and okay. You mentioned, um, yeah, your dad working at McDonald's, you're originally from Boston. Yeah. So right? I grew up in Roxbury, which is a kind of the historically black part of Boston. Okay. And um, then I moved to New York 20 years ago and I've been in New York ever since. Wow. That's amazing. What was that? What was that like that shift from, you know, growing up, uh, in Massachusetts, I guess. Um, and then coming to, yeah, coming to a place like New York city. I had always, as soon as I met New York, I fell in love. I was like, uh, my first, you know, this was, so I came to New York, I think for the first time, 1998. And this was a moment where like, um, my, you know, I grew up on hip hop. And so this was a moment when like little Kim was having this huge moment and like mm-hmm. bad boy records was having this huge moment and, um, you know, like Wu-Tang Clan and, uh, just like all of these kind of like New York, you know, people were yeah. having Mary J. Blige. We're just really having this moment. And I remember coming to Times Square and just like seeing the billboards and just being so confused about how like buildings could be this big. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What is going on? And then I was like, I want to be up there, you know, like Mm -hmm. this is what I want to do. I want to be up there and create on that level. And um, I remember I went down to like the world trade center on that trip. And I was like looking up at the buildings and I was like, and I want, 
to like have my like workplace here, you know, yeah, wow. re- allowing myself to dream big, you know, <laughs> regardless of the outcome. And it felt like this really beautiful place to expand um, and connect with like black art and culture, you know, and, and music. And that has been kind of just like the dominant intent through which I've lived here for so long. Wow. That's amazing to hear that a 20 year journey. I'm sure you've seen just the ways the city has changed, just the energy yeah. shifts. Um, you know, people are always talking about how, yeah, so many things go in and out of business, places close, priorities shift, um, regulations on the city even change. Um, so that's really, yeah. Wow. I'm like, I hope, I hope I can live in New York for 20 years. I'm at 10. You know, like, I've now realized like, it's so important. I've never taken a break and I'm like, I think it's good to take breaks. Yeah. You know, like, and also it's, I don't know, you know, like for some people that's not the, some people who were born here and, mm-hmm. you know, we're like, I gotta go, you know, right, it's like exactly. after, you know, it's like everyone has their own kind of like thing. Yeah. Their relationship to the city. Yeah. That's so true. So, okay. So in the spirit of that, of that 20 year journey and just where you are as an artist, um, how does it feel like, this is tricky. I'm going to say, you know, how does it feel to have your work shown and collected at a variety of like major museums and art institutions? And I hate to be that person, like, you know, what does it feel like to be like, you know, a part of this big thing, but like as an artist, it does mean something. And I understand that we're like deconstructing and reevaluating what that even means that like validation or like what it does for your portfolio. But, um, you know, I genuinely am just like, so thrilled to see you shine. So I'm just, I'm curious oh, about what that feels like, how, uh, yeah, your relationship to your work um, and how you practice as an artist is at this moment. It still hasn't really hit, just to be totally honest. Like, <laughs> I went to the Met the other day and I was like, wow, this is wild. Like, yeah. as is, you know, it just is, it still feels surreal, mm-hmm. you know, because I remember going to the Met as a teenager and being like, what is going on? Like, how is a building this big, you know, grand. and so, you know, to me, I'm like, wow, that's another. And I think part of it too, is like, um, you know, a lot of my work as an artist and a filmmaker, it was um, on the, it was in flight from visibility and recognition. And so I, you know, and I'm doing a different dance now, but what I find to have been really valuable about that was having to calibrate to a feeling of worthiness and value without uh, audience at large. Right. Vis-a-vis institution saying that you're like, you're important. And so it's like the first film that I ever worked on um, was this activist film called Taking Freedom Home. It was when I was an organizer with the Welfare Warriors and Chris for Economic Justice. Mm-hmm. And we screened it at the LGBT Center on 13th Street, July, June 2010, right? So this is like 11, 12 years ago, almost. And it was just like 50 of our community members who came out and that felt like the biggest deal that had ever happened to me. Because yeah. mostly we were like showing this video that was like collectively made that my friend Kagendo was like, coordinating and directing and editing to each other. And that felt like a big deal because this was like before the iPhone, you know, like um, we were filming. 
it was just like a very different way like of like you know taking in our lives and having the audience be each other yeah you know and and that felt really profound and beautiful Mm, I love that I'm just okay I'm just sitting with that for (laughs) for a second like really like wow Okay. I'm, I'm like getting inspired right now. Okay. Um, okay. So that being said, what, and I mean, this is a difficult question, but so I'll say at this moment, what is the piece of work that you feel most connected to at this moment? Like the piece of work you feel most like heart connected to like, really like, woof, this piece was, yeah. I think that it's, um, you know, it's like two different ones. One is the one that I'm in practice and working on right now, which is um, kind of across a few different mediums. And the other, the work that's out there that's done is the most recent. So I would say the Pleasure Garden self-portraits because, um, you know, as a cancer, I spent (laughs) a long time like hiding, you know, like, and reveling in like the beauty of not being seen and it can feel and be so beautiful to yeah. like, yeah. you know, be laying roots underground. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then I started to realize like, um, if I'm saying like, we all get to bask in the sun. And so my, a lot of my work is about that, like the, the feeling of ease and pleasure and beauty and basking. Then all of us means all of us. And I, and like, I'm like noticing how I was like taking myself out of the, all of us. Yeah. And that was a moment to be like, no, like all of us gets to include like ourselves too. And so I think to me, partly it's like what the, each photograph looks like and partly it's the themes running through it of like black pleasure and pleasure gardens and also like oh no like I'm remembering my value and like um that I too get to be a main character Mm, mm, I love that yeah becoming the protagonist coming like yeah yeah Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I notice obviously a huge central theme in your practice is pleasure, um, and yeah, and also too the role of um, self portraiture and you know having yourself be the subject, having just this um, image capturing feel really um, intimate. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how pleasure and perhaps self portraiture play um, yeah. a part? I think it kind of goes back to like the um, like the fast food conversation, right? Where it's like allowing ourselves to um, like just have a thing that feels good, yeah. You know, and just like um, being, I re- have come to realize that when I am feeling like in um, a momentum towards joy and towards ease and pleasure more of me is showing up in the moment Mm -hmm. so I think that on like um it's like yeah like noticing how 
a lot of times we get conditioned to think that like, oh, like, you know, you have to work hard mm-hmm. in order to prove your value or like, um, you know, like sacrifice, sacrifice, like productivity, hard work under like, you know, this moment, it's like a, a lot of conditioning to think about like, you know, the, the more you work, the better you are, mm-hmm. more right. you give right. up, the better you are. And it's like, um, what if actually like our excess and abundance are all part of the like solution to creating the world that we want to inhabit? Right. And like that. If our opulence. Radical. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so yeah. um, Becca... McCarran Tran and I um, from Chromat created this collection called Cock for Chromat, you know, swimsuits. It was about like creating looks, uh, swimsuits specifically for like trans girls who don't talk, like trans men and non-binary people who want like package support, anyone who wants like ballroom. And it's about, and you know, it's called Cock. It's like collective opulence celebrating kindred, you know, and it's about like, just like our opulence. And so um, as a good thing. And I think to me, that is like what this moment is asking, um, Mm. from me to show up in. And that, let me just say that fashion show runway was iconic on Rockaway beach, like red, everyone wearing red. What was the significance of the color red? It's like, you know, it's like how to save a life, you know, Like, like, Exactly. And when we show up as more of who we are, and for some people that means one thing, and for other people that means another thing, but no matter how that aestheticization happens, when we show up as more of who we are, it's life-saving yeah. for ourselves and others. You know, right. it's like very, like, we get to be the lifeguard. This is, clear, you know, it's like Baywatch, you know, like yeah. we are yeah. the babies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, so in a lot of your work, you've also spent a lot of time, um, obviously studying deeply immersing yourself in the history of queer, um, trans icons, namely, um, or I should say, uh, a huge kind of like window into how I discovered your work as well was the Marsha P, uh, Johnson film, happy birthday. Oh, Marcia. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like, as a aspiring archivist, like someone who loves to learn about history and just go down that rabbit hole. Um, I very much see you yourself as an archivist. So, um, yeah, perhaps you can tell me about the process in making that film and how, I don't know, you use history, um, legacy and archives as a, as a tool for your practice. So that's such a great question. Right now I'm, um, writing Marsha's biography, um, for Penguin Random House, um, imprint Tiny Reparations. And to me, it's a really beautiful moment because, you know, Marsha's legacy, um, is coming into clearer and clearer view for so many of um, people I know, you know, and it's so powerful. And everyone that I know kind of resonates with a different aspect of her. You know, she just, her life continues to be so, um, so large, you know, and, and she, you know, when um, she was like in her like material form, she was a performer. She was off, you know, off, off Broadway performer with, the hot peaches and also angels of light, which came out of the coquette. So she was in the lower East side, like, you know, performing in these theaters 
um, doing like 60 performances in a month, you know, to a day. And so, you know, she was like a real mainstay and a person that connected other people to each other. And then, you know, she was doing kind of like organizing activist work or how we would frame that maybe in this moment. Um, that was like re- very much like taking those innovation, you know, like what if we could have a home for ourselves and each other, you know, like what if we could have a bail fund? What if we could, um, you know, feel safe and ease while we were working, like, um, you know, on the corner, like all of these different kinds of ways of uh, dreaming up the world and then um, being the realizer of that kind of dream. And so to me, um, you know, I started maybe like writing and sharing and archiving the work of, of Marsha in the, um, uh, and it's hard to say, it's like maybe in like 2005 is like when I started kind of like following that path. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I remember in like 2009, it was like the 40th anniversary of Stonewall and um, Diane Davies, who's this photographer, like had uh, a lot of her kind of archival early gay liberation moment photos put out by the New York Public Library. And I remember just like printing them out and collaging them into like new works and like putting up, um, you know, I was working at Queer um, Economic Justice at the time as an organizer and I would get there really early in the morning and use their like very nice, you know, for what kind of job we had, like color printer and just yeah. like all that, you know what I mean? And just like spend time doing that. And so- Yeah, Um, I think that to me, that has just been, you know, in one moment of my life, what I felt called to share about Marsha was like one particular kind of thing. And now it's it's another. Um, And so I think it's been a really beautiful way to be in process around my life and hers and those that she continues to touch. Yeah. And I love just like the trace of like that legacy and both of you being in conversation and how like yeah. her story essentially lives on through. Yeah. The- yeah. Yeah. Very alive. You yeah. know? Um, and, and it's like, you, we all can tune to it, you know, through like um, through pleasure and ease, we get to tune to more of what's in the world. I believe. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious about who are perhaps some of those other really pivotal, inspirational figures and icons for you. Yeah. Um, you know, like Miss Major, who is, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's in her 70s. She's a Black trans elder. Um, she lives in Little Rock, Arkansas right now. She really kind of like took me under her wing, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a very long time. Um, and I made a, like a short film with her, um, called the personal things. And it's just about like the small personal acts of refusal, Mm. uh, are so just like deeply powerful and can change and transform, do change and transform the world. If you could do a project with anyone this year, a collaboration with no limits, who would that be? (laughs) That's such a great question. Um, 
you know, okay. So there's some people who I'm like, wow, this is a dream come true that I'm like talking to them and we're dreaming up things, but people who I'm not currently, maybe like in the realm of who I'm not currently talking yeah. to. Yeah. That's like, good. That's interesting. I want to do something. I would love to do something with Lil Nas X. Yes. Yeah. I just think that'd be so fun. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Lil Nas X, if you're listening. Um, yeah, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, yeah, I just like, I feel like music and movement and just, he's just like putting out some really incredible yeah. um, next level work right now. And I'm just all about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say too, it seems like music is a really big aspect of your work. Like I was watching, um, Atlantic is a sea of bones and yeah. a bit of salacia. And to me, oh my God, the score and the sound design uh-huh. felt like a character in and of itself. So I'd love to hear about the role, like music and sound plays. Yeah, your- absolutely. I mean, it is very important to me. I think to um, it's such a part of the story is the soundscape, you know? And I think also too, it's important for me it with like moving image work to not necessarily always prioritize what you can see mm-hmm. you know just like have different ways of sensing the work yeah. um, and experiencing it and so you know geo wise who's been you know um just an incredible collaborator like what did the score for um you know the personal things and also happy birthday marcia um, Atlantic Sea of Bones, Salacia, uh, Maryville Fame, which is coming out soon. Um, it's just been such a beautiful, a, a joy to collaborate in that way. And then we, um, so me and Sasha, yeah. Sasha Wurzel, who co-directed um, Happy Birthday, Marsha. So we did a live um, show of the film um, at the kitchen. And oh, so yeah, it was yeah. really powerful. And Gio did the score. It was just like on a whole other level. It was really, um, it was, and you know, Gio got to have like um, his band and it just was, it was really, um, there was like this person, you know, there was just like everyone in the band was amazing. And yeah, uh, yeah it just felt really powerful. Oh, I wish I had seen that. I'm working um, with the kitchen now. I'm like, oh, really? where? oh I should have been there. Yeah. Uh, I'll, send you, I'll send you the video. Oh, yes, please do. Yeah. Oh, my God. I would love to watch. Obviously, I know that you work a lot in um, with film and with self-portraiture. Um, is that, would you say that's like the medium you feel most attached to or you're curious in perhaps... I don't know, expanding and testing out new mediums and just seeing what sticks. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I feel like it's such a thrill to expand. So in the vibe of like portraiture, um, that has been like photography and film, but also now this book, um, I would say is part of my like portraiture practice, you know, or like experimental portraiture, um, kind of like, uh, Sadia Hartman, you know, coined the term like critical fabulation about like inventing, uh, or channeling truth that doesn't exist in an archive, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to say things about ourselves that, you know, might not be seen as factual, but very honest you know like um might never have made it into someone's archive or like newspaper like um so that has been a lot of like what my practice has been about 
critical fabulation. Mm. And so, um, I don't know. I'm like in this moment, it's like everything is art. I've come yeah. to realize, you know, like the art of having like a really good conversation. Yes. The art oh, of God. like driving a go-kart. Yes. <laughs> you know, the, the art of a really good meal. Yeah. Um, the art of like thinking as few thoughts as possible and noticing how they feel, you know, like, and if they don't feel so good, slowing down on them. And if they feel really good, speeding up on them. Um, the art of having fun. Yes. You know, like, um, the art of like walking around and like really being in deep appreciation of how we're truly in this all together, you know, yeah. like, yeah. um, and noticing just like how we are showing up for one another and how we are in the midst of a really challenging moment and yet still extending care. Yes. You know, in an abundance of ways to one another. Mm, yeah. And actually earlier you mentioned, you were like, you know, um, you know, New York is amazing. And my journey here was really um, significant, but also kind of stressing the importance of um, being an artist in other cities, you know, and traveling. So I'm curious if there's any particular cities or places that, you know, kind of brought something out and energized you or just feel significant to yeah. work as an artist. You know, the only place that, um, so I've only lived in New York since I moved here. And then I spent maybe like the longest that I spent outside of the city since 2002 was like um, a few months in in New Orleans. Wow. On a film, I was the um, director's assistant on this film called Mudbound, which Dee Reese is the director of, and it stars like Mary J. Blige and Carrie Mulligan. You know, it's like this really... um, there's this book about the afterlife of slavery mm. on um, Mississippi farms. And so, and like the lives of sharecroppers. And so that was really powerful, you know, being there and working in like St. James Parish and on like uh, really haunted lands. Yes. Like we were yeah. like shooting on a, like a former plantation and you can just feel how this is like a landing to the sea of bones vibe it's like things that are supposedly over continue to shape a landscape today you know mm-hmm. and so um i don't know that was like one valence i love right now like going to just like different oceans moments like yeah. being with water you know in the very cancer way like cancer. whether it's la i just went to italy over the summer and that was Ooh. wild like i was like I love it here. <laughs> I was like, I feel so luxurious. Uh-huh. Um, and it was cute too. Cause like never in a million years would 90% of the life that I'm getting to live right now, what I have imagined, what I actually get to with the younger version of myself. Yes. You know? And so it's like, I don't know. It just feels like this really big um, dream come true, whether it's like, um, traveling a little bit or like just relocating or taking a break or all of it, you know? And, you know, it's like my work this summer played on a Times Square building, a billboard, the Viacom billboard, you know? And then, um, every day it played, you know? 
And then my studio is in Four World Trade Center. So these things wow, that I imagined, yeah. you know, as, uh, as like, you know, coming here the very first time, it's been wild to be like, wow, that dream came true, you know, like, mm-hmm. and the things that I didn't even dare to let myself say out loud, like one day my art would be in the mat, like, but now I'm kind of like, oh, you know, it'd be just really fun to have like some pop culture moments with Lil Nas. <laughs> also that a bit of both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, ooh, okay. So speaking of music, what, what are you listening to right now? Obviously Lil Nas X, but yeah. Lil Nas X. Um, <laughs> I'm the vibe right now is like nothing serious is going on. And so, um, I'm listening to a lot of Laraji. Um, mm-hmm. so I kind of listen to Laraji. I had like this wild, like fangirl moment with Laraji on the street. Ooh. And, um, like collaborated a couple of times. So Laraji did, um, in a very generous and gracious way, uh, allowed, I did this project with MoMA. There was a walking tour of kind of black sites of dreaming and resistance and pleasure in New York city, um, for Juneteenth. And so Laraji allowed us to, to use his music on that. And then for another piece that I did with, um, Serpentine or Serpentine, um, that was really like generous. So anyway, I was just like, wow, like I was just so starstruck, you know? Um, and, uh, it was like really gracious and, and, um, and was like, okay, I gotta go. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. And, um, I also, I mean, you have amazing style. I'm looking at you right now. So, wow. Um, I'm curious the role, um, fashion plays in your yeah work, in your life and creativity. You know, I think it took me a really long time. Fashion is so important to me. Yeah. And so there's sometimes there's things that are so important to me that I, my first step, maybe it's being a cancer is just like kind of block them out and imagine that they, they don't matter, mm-hmm. you know, um, And so I think fashion was very much like that for a while. And so, but I think about like the history of, of fashion and, um, you know, like vis-a-vis Marsha, right? Like someone whose, um, style, whose like personal style was so specific and innovative and really kind of highlighted the capacity and the power of fashion to transform the world at the time of like the Stonewall, uh, rebellion, it was, and this is what I made um, the personal things about the, the film with Miss Major. It was, you know, you would be arrested and put in jail as a trans woman if you were wearing three articles of, of women's clothing, you know, quote wow. unquote women's clothing. And so um, they were like anti-cross-dressing laws that the New York um, Police Department enforced under a, a moral code. Um, so you would see vis-a-vis fashion, morality being... Um, like inscribed and then uh, so legislated and then policed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like, so these things that some people might assume to be like surface or superficial actually have a depth and capacity to um, transform the world, you know, at at the same as anything else, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is why the state was so afraid of them. Yeah. And had to legislate them away, you know, like that's why there were anti and anti-cross-dressing laws still exist in, in many like 
um, prisons and detention centers today. When I was at the Sylvia Rivera Law Project, one of the biggest things that we were doing was like supporting trans people in prison to be able to wear what they wanted to wear. Right. You know? right. Um, and so these are real. So it's like fashion, the like umbrella of fashion is so, um, so wide, you know, yeah. and um, so powerful. And I think to me, my like entry point in thinking about it was like through someone like Marsha who really, you know, there's this quote, Marsha is in an interview talking about like Stonewall rebellion. And also that's when her, she started her real kind of like fashion rebellion. And she was like doing more, um, like more and more looks that would get greater and greater attention, but allow her to feel more and more powerful every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, yeah. I mean, fashion is like, it's your armor. It's your like, this is my, this is I'm stepping out into the world. It's so, yeah, it's really important. What are your favorite things about the art world and what would you like to see changed? You know, like, I think the thing that I love the most that is also the change that I'm most eager to be part of is like, party's more fun when more of us are able to be at the party. Right. It's like, um, and so when we get to show up and when we do show up as like our full selves with each other, it's like really just bound to be a good time. And that is what, um, you know, it's like why it's important to me to be a mentor. So I mentor like with queer art mentor and also at my, um, the residency program and why it feels, and also informally, it just feels really important to be like, Oh, I, um, the arc of my life went from like one thing to another. And it doesn't mean that there won't be like moments, uh, that feel, uncomfortable or not lining up with how I wanted it to be. But the, the arc is really this um, one that I feel really like blessed by, you know, yeah. and was only possible through um, yeah, just like the love and support of so many. Yeah. And so to me, it feels really um, so powerful to be part of a wave where, where the importance is all of us being able to show up um, and all of us being able to show up as fully as possible. Mm -hmm. I also love what you said about mentorship. I feel like that's so important, that aspect of guidance and advice and just like paying it forward. That's like, I know I wouldn't be where I was if I didn't have good mentors. So exactly. Yeah. Um, actually this is a good follow-up. What is a piece of advice you would perhaps share with younger artists or something that's been really valuable to your journey? I think something that's valuable to my journey is like, um, it's like when I start to believe that the things that I want are possible, then I allow myself to move towards them and notice how they're filling in, become more like keenly aware of how, what I want is happening. You know, so, um, there was, uh, you know, during the the height of the civil rights movement, there was like the Mississippi Freedom Schools and organizers would, you know, come together and the question asking, you know, and the kind of like Ella Baker tradition of organizing was so important. And so people would, you know, ask each other, like, what does the dominant culture have that we 
don't want? What does the dominant culture have that we do want? What do we have already that we want to make more of, you know? And so, um, putting my focus on how, um, the problems have sparked, um, new desires for answers. You know, the questions have sparked new desires for, um, answers and solutions. And when I pivot my attention to how those things are coming, then I, I don't know. It's like, um, I get to notice them in a more pronounced and powerful way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that I think helps speed them along. And so all of the parts are important. I don't think I could be where I am right now, focusing on how um, solutions are coming and uh, answers are coming without having the moment of like my blog where the emotional like tone of that, you know, it's like, that was a moment when I was organizing and just like so many of my friends were dying, like, and it was me trying to process loss and grief on like a very particular level. Um, that was like moving through community and now, um, you know, it's like, you can't go from, I don't think you can go from like, uh, feelings of loss and grief to like joy overnight or even in, oh, no, um, right. or, yeah. you know, I needed to go from like loss and grief to like extreme rage yes. and revenge, you know? And so I think in the, these conversations right now around like joy, it's so important to, to like bring in like all of it's important. So like the feelings of like rage and loss, the feelings of revenge, the feelings of like, you know, hopelessness, all of the feelings of like going from hopelessness to like kind of bored, like um, Abraham Hicks talks about the emotional scale, all of those places on like the emotional scale to me played a part in being able to be more keenly aware of like how, what I want is on its way. And me, like, I think that, um, like not pushing myself or other people to be in a place other than where we're at is really important. So my last question that I always ask my guests is, um, please tell me a secret or something. Yeah. Something otherwise know. It's like worked our way up to the secret time. I know. know. (laughs) Um, that's great. Okay. I don't know if this is a secret, but I'm a really good driver. And I drive, I like to drive very like fast cars and fast cars are really important to me. Like, Mm. um, like fast, you know, things that maybe people would call luxury and they are luxurious. Their price points are very high, but it's like, um, like I know exactly how I would, if someone gave me like um, you know, like $10 million to spend on cars. I know exactly how I would do that. And I know exactly like, uh, I probably know more about cars than, um, ever before in my life. And, uh, yeah, it's like things that I I really care about cars and I I really care about space. Like I have a, like a real plan to go to space and, um, I, you know, just like I grew up reading like Octavia Butler, you know, and just like, um, you know, the parable series and just like just so much about space, not as like conquest, but as expansion. Okay. So what kind of car do you drive? So right now I'm not driving a car. Before I was driving a, um, 
BMW X3M. So like M is uh, like the performance um, sub brand of BMW. So they like, um, you know, like will have a really high horsepower motor in what looks, it's kind of like sleeper car or Mm -hmm. like, it's like, things you don't think would be, it's like trans girl energy. It's like things that you're like, Oh, like I didn't know that this like car had this, like it was something that looks like a mom car, you know, had, <laughs> that was my, my X3M was like a mom, soccer mom, but had this like incredible inline six uh, cylinder engine that went like 500 horsepower. So you would go like zero to 60 in like yeah, you know, four seconds or something. It was like yeah. really, really fast. And yeah. But when you look at it, it's like, it's very, <laughs> if you know, you know, energy, like yes, you wouldn't necessarily exactly. piece it apart. And so there's something I really like about that, where it's like, like, if you're not tuned to it, you're going to miss it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, and that's fine because like, I'm driving around for like the thrill and also yeah. for the people who are like tuned to, um, to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, but like I that. Yeah. Like I'm, I feel like. I want to do, I want to have like a little Lamborghini moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then um, I feel like BMW makes these like um, iconic cars uh, that are going to change. And I, I love the EVs coming in the way, but I want to do like, um, uh, get an M5, um, which is like their iconic sports sedan car um, before, before they're, they're gone. Oh my God. Okay. This is amazing. I'm like, okay. I'm thinking right now, like I know nothing about cars, but I'm thinking of the scene in Charlie's angels where they're like NASCAR girls and yes, just like exactly. get in there and they're just like, let's go. That's exactly it. I want to, so I'm like, I want to do a movie where I like star as like a Charlie angel NASCAR girl, you know, yeah. like, yeah, exactly. Oh, I love this. This is a really good secret. Thanks for tuning in to the Cultured Magazine podcast, Points of View. We look forward to bringing you exciting interviews with artists and their visions for the future every month. Thank you to the podcast team for making this happen. To our editor, Alex De Palma, our sound engineer, Lars Probert, our theme music by Color Plus, and Cultured Magazine.